What's up, everybody? Week 16 edition of NFL Friday. Glad you can join us. Jackson Heil, Emmanuel Ribari here with you. And, whoa, man, E-Man, this, this episode is one I hope that would never have to do. Um, one that it'll be a consoling of depressed Jets fans here. And it's one that I really thought of all things that could potentially happen this year winning a game to essentially ruin what could be the next decade of this franchise was not something that I ever thought could happen. But here we are. The Jets have won a game, let alone beating the first place Rams at the time in the NFC West, the hardest division in football. And they somehow find a way to win 23-20. And E-Man, to be honest, I'm at a loss for words with how everything has happened here. I mean, the fact that Sean McVay could be outcoached by Adam Gase is beyond remarkable to me in the first place. A guy we have crowned as the new age of coaching and the direction of where football is going lies in Sean McVay. Lost to a guy in Adam Gase who may be the worst coach in the history of professional sports. You have this Rams team that um, was 9-4 and four coming into this week, looked like potential favorites out of the NFC. They're find a way to lose to the Jets who are now one and 13 and no longer hold the great position of being the number one draft choice this year. That now belongs to the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know, I think for Jets fans and especially for me, this is probably the worst moment as a Jets fan since third and six, when big Ben completed that pass to Antonio Brown, plain and simple. And I never thought a win would cause that, but here we are. I can't stack the moments up at this point, Jackson, and I'm trying to find it within me to get enraged, and I want to rant, and I want to rave, and I want to put on a show here where we can do the fellow Jet fan justice, but Jackson, I'm sorry, I just can't do it. I'm numb. There's nothing left in me after all these years of pain and ineptitude and just utter catastrophe where we try to project all the time when that pivotal turning point will be. We're always talking about the next year and the next free agent class or the next draft. And this was finally going to be the one where that generational talent was waiting in the wings, where it wasn't up to the Jets. It wasn't up to the owners. It wasn't up to the front office to dictate how the franchise would move forward. It was up to one man, and that was Trevor Lawrence, because he was too good to be ruined. And they blew that too. So... Is there anything else to say? Is there anything else to rant or rave about? I'm at a loss for words, like you said. I'm right with you there. But more importantly, I'm numb, and I can't really summarize how I'm feeling because it seems like this is the last straw. And now the Jets are basically forced to act like a very competent organization and build a team around Sam Darnold, which we all know they're probably not capable of doing. Well, that's the question that arises here is that Assuming Jacksonville does finish at 1-15. Which is and, an if, actually. Which is, again, that is something that still very well may not happen because they still have to play the Bears at home. And Mitch Trubisky, we all know, can do things that not many quarterbacks can do. And I mean that in a negative way, not a positive way, that's for sure. So there is definitely a chance the Jaguars win another game. And hence, there's a, there's a chance the Jets win another game. But if the number two pick falls to the Jets... Is Justin Fields an option? Is Zach Wilson an option who was terrific for BYU the other night? 
I don't like it. I don't know. I don't like the sound of that. Listen, I'm at a point where I I just don't know because we've seen what's happened to Sam Darnold and a lot of it probably not his fault, but has Sam Darnold impressed you at all this year? I think the answer is a pretty obvious no. And the confidence for him has been completely shattered by this organization and by what Adam Gase has done to this Jets team. So honestly, I, I don't know what I would do with that number two pick. I mean, you have the, the offensive line for Morgan, who looks like a stud, who I would have no problem taking and putting him alongside Mekhi Becton and rebuilding that offensive line. But I, I want to take a step back here really quickly because, yes, it's awful for Jets fans and for the Jets organization that Trevor Lawrence won't be in Jet. But going forward, I, I think over the last few weeks, and it's, it's hard to look at this now and put it in perspective following probably the most catastrophic win in franchise history that this organization, I think actually once Adam Gase is gone and assuming that is the case, if Adam Gase isn't gone, then everything means nothing here with what I'm about to say. The franchise should fold. If if that's the case. Yes. I'm I'm with you. I mean, secede to the XFL, which doesn't exist anymore. Just wipe away everything that has ever existed. Just like put put every single piece of paperwork that's ever been associated with the New York jets and like the bottom of the Atlantic ocean. If that's the case. And honestly, it'd be very fair if Adam Gase coaches a game next year, which would be maybe the worst move any franchise has ever made in the history of the NFL. But I actually like the outlook of the future of this team. And it's crazy to say, given everything that's happened this year, but Makai Becton has been terrific. The receiving core of Denzel Mims, Rashad Perriman, Jameson Crowder, I actually like going forward for a young quarterback. And on defense, Quinton Williams has been awesome this year. There's no other way to put it. This guy looks like a superstar, probably the biggest Pro Bowl snub that has happened. But you have the front three of him, John Franklin Myers, and Floyd Fataski. This is a really good defensive line. I mean, yes, there are a lot of places that needs to be fixed. But you give Joe Douglas another draft with a ton of first-round picks, which he has, a checkbook that goes over a hundred million dollars in depth for this off season and off seasons going forward. I, I like where the jets are at going forward. And it would have been an even better position if Trevor Lawrence was the guy for that. But as much as I'm depressed about what has happened, I, I actually really like the spot the jets are in right now. So this becomes a question then Jackson, I don't think it's a matter of if jets fans have, the utmost faith in Sam Darnold, because I think the vast majority of the fan base would tell you at this point, they do not, they have not seen enough. They have not seen enough distinguishable qualities from Sam Darnold year three versus year one. The question now becomes how much does a support system matter? And how much does that position even mean? We all know the quarterback is such an integral spot in the national football league, but What's changed between week one of this year where everyone is really pinning the blame on Adam Gaze and saying Sam Darnold needs a support system. He's been basically left on an island because the Jets have given him nothing to work with. And now we're in week 16 where, yes, Sam Darnold has not been good, but we've seen a lot of positives from the rest of the team. And you can make the argument moving forward, you install a good head coach, big if, but you install a good head coach, and the system's there, 
All you need Sam Darnold to do is make marginal improvements, and the Jets could be a pretty good football team with some good moves. So I think the question becomes, what do you need out of that position? Because we've witnessed it ourselves, and I've thought about this a lot in the grieving process of the last week. What does it take to be a Super Bowl-caliber team? And the Jets, I mean, over the last decade, it's hard to say this, made two AFC championships with Mark Sanchez. Can Sam Darnold be Mark Sanchez or better? Absolutely. So if you're committed to building a good team here with Joe Douglas, I'm fine riding with Sam Darnold. I just think it's so crucial that the next head coaching hire is a success because you need to go from literally the worst head coaching hire, arguably, in the history of the franchise to a guy you cannot get wrong. And I have a tough time believing this organization is going to do it. And also, who is responsible for that hire? Is it the Johnsons? Is it Douglas? We have no idea how that's going to work. That's the biggest question here is is who is responsible for hiring the next head coach? And you hit on it. Is is it the Johnsons? Is it Joe Douglas? You'd have to think it's going to be Joe Douglas if you're the Jets. But at the same time, you look back to what happened last time. And Mike McCagney didn't get to hire his head coach. It was Christopher Johnson who fell in love with Adam Gase somehow. I I don't know how anyone falls in love with Adam Gase sitting in a room alone with him talking football, but Christopher Johnson fell in love with Adam Gase. He was the one that hired him. Gase was the one who sat in the NFL draft for the Jets and said, I don't like any of these picks. Let's get rid of Mike McCagden. Essentially, the coach fired the GM without having played a single game or coached a single game there and then hired his own general manager. So, I think it is a serious question right now is that if Christopher Johnson is hiring the next head coach for the New York Jets or whether it's Woody Johnson and he's back at this time, I would be extremely concerned if I'm a New York Jets fan, which we both are, that they're going to screw it up again because we're talking about Christopher Johnson made not the worst head coaching hire in franchise history. I would argue it's the worst head coaching hire in league history. And and I'm not, I'm not, I do not think that's an understatement of any sorts or actually check that. It's more of an overstatement. I think it's dead on true that Adam Gase is the worst head coach in the history of professional sports. And for the fact that Christopher Johnson decided to hire him and sat in a room with Adam Gase and said, this is the guy, not Matt rule, not Eric B not anyone else. It was Adam freaking Gase. That was the guy he fell in love with. And now we're going to have to sit here and possibly see him do this again. I I mean, I'd be scared out of my mind if that's the case. Well, it's why a lot of Jets fans maintain that the biggest problem and the biggest obstacle remaining between the Jets and becoming a competent franchise that's able to spring off some winning seasons here, they maintain it's the ownership because – moves like these make you wonder whether a functional front office even changes anything. So we all know what it was. It was that call from Peyton Manning that put uh, Christopher Johnson into love with Adam Gase. You just have to hope some outside force isn't stupid enough to alter the course of franchise history once again. But to retain focus here, I'm okay with another year of Sam Darnold, if you have competent selections in the NFL draft, if you have a good free agency class, which the Jets have every mandate to, to have, because 
they are they're going to be well below the threshold, well below the cap uh, for this coming off season. I'm okay with another year of Sam Darnold to see what you got when I'm sure they could take a massive step forward with the right moves next year, but you're probably still not a playoff team when all things are said and done next year. So I'm willing to give Sam Darnold another look because if it's not Sam Darnold, where are you actually looking? You're probably looking for one of those not great, not flashy, but solid NFL quarterbacks who's between the age of 29 and 32 to install there and be functional. That's what you're looking for if it's not Sam Darnold. I'm not enamored with any of these quarterbacks in the draft outside of Trevor Lawrence. So you're not going to bring in a project and say, hey, Justin Fields, we'll give you three years. I'm not okay with that. Sam Darnold's had three years, so give him a fourth, and then maybe he becomes at least partially what we know he can be. But at least he's seen it. At least he's been there. At least he knows what he's dealing with. And unfortunately, this will be like his third head coach, which is ridiculous. But he's been here, and he knows what it's like to play in New York. I'm willing to roll the dice on that over another project who could be an utter catastrophe and so far off from what Trevor Lawrence would be. But here's the question now that revolves around Sam Darnold. Is the damage of the first three years in New York too much for him to come back and be a competent starting NFL quarterback? And I don't think anyone really knows the answer to that question because, listen, we don't know how much damage is done. We know what we've seen on the field, and it's that Sam Darnold looks worse than he did in his rookie year, and he looks worse than he did last year. And honestly, I think it's pretty significant how worse, how much worse he looks right now. So that would be my worry going forward with Sam Darnold because, listen, like you said, you could try him out for another year, and I, I wouldn't have too much of a problem taking another chance on Sam Darnold next year. But you're at a spot right now where you're going to have the number two pick in the draft. You got a guy in Justin Fields who looks like he's going to be a pretty damn good NFL quarterback. You have another option, Zach Wilson, who I think is going to be terrific also. It, this this decision is going to determine potentially the next decade of what the Jets look like. And I know that that would have been said about whether Trevor Lawrence was the guy too, but this perhaps is an even more important decision now that Trevor Lawrence may be out of the equation. I think my philosophy on it remains – Let's challenge the Jets for once to be functional and competent. Let's challenge them to to really create a well-oiled machine, a good football team that can function even in spite of the quarterback. Because I long for the days where our quarterback can have two, three interceptions, and that's okay because you have a great defense or you have a great running game or you're not solely dependent on some mythical star to – overtake the organization and just single-handedly bring it to the promised land. Trevor Lawrence may be great, and it may take him a couple of years to get there, actually, regardless of how great he is adapting to the National Football League. But Trevor Lawrence isn't God. So regardless of what transpired, regardless of if the Jets had won or lost last week, and regardless of if they got the number one pick, they still had to build that team. So let's challenge them now and find it within themselves to – to build that supporting cast for Sam Darnold. And whoever the next head coach is, I think all we need them to do is come in and sit Sam Darnold down and cleanse him and really wipe the slate clean and say, hey, whatever the old regime did with you, that's gone. That's a thing of the past because I really believe this guy's been poisoned. 
And all you need to do is completely change the mindset, wipe the past away and say, hey, now now we're doing things differently. This is a new chapter for the organization. So there needs to be a lot of truth telling in that regard. But look, I'm okay with Sam Darnold because again, I think the mindset eight, nine weeks ago was still that it was Adam Gaze's fault with what was going on. There was still some blame to go around with Sam Darnold, but it was mostly head coaching and it was mostly the system. And now all of a sudden it's, you know, we can't go with Sam Darnold moving forward. I think Jets fans are going to reevaluate that a little bit more now that Trevor Lawrence may not be an option. That's fair. And I I don't disagree with what you're saying entirely because I do think that everything that has happened is due to an incompetent head coach in Adam Gates and, and where the direction of this organization is trending is because of what Adam Gates has done to the Jets. However, my last point before we shift over to the Giants real quick is that we are at a point now with Sam Darnold that I mentioned this before. I think the damage may be too much. And I'm not saying that it is. It's definitely possible that he can become an NFL quarterback and be a good NFL quarterback at some point. But again, we are approaching the end of year three. I I can't even imagine where his mindset is right now after what we've seen, because I've been fully on board that this is a product of Adam Gase, but can that product be changed? I don't know. And and that's the question I'm going to be juggling with over the next few months. If Trevor Lawrence isn't an option for the New York Jets, which it's looking more and more like that will be the case unless a miracle happens in Jacksonville over the next two weeks. That is a question that I'm going to struggle to answer because I watched Zach Wilson and say, hey, that's a guy I think I'd rather have over Sam Darnold right now. Yeah, Justin Fields stunk in the SEC, in the Big 12, Big 10, excuse me. I got all three conferences on <laughs> the Big 10 championship. But again, I've liked everything I've seen from him, even though Ohio State quarterbacks have historically been pretty bad in the NFL. But that's a question I'm going to be juggling with over the next three or four months. And honestly, I don't know if we're going to have a good answer by then. I think we need to see more of Sam Darnold and see another year to be able to determine that and see him with a new head coach. But the Jets don't have that luxury because Adam Gase is here till the end of the season. And that number two pick is coming before we're going to be able to see year four of Sam Darnold. So that's going to be completely up in the air. And I know the hype for Sam Darnold wasn't necessarily at the at the Trevor Lawrence heights. It wasn't at the Trevor Lawrence level, but it was pretty darn high. When when the Jets drafted Sam Darnold, there was there was high hope that he would be a transformational quarterback for this franchise. So I'm not willing really, and I think this is where my my overarching point kind of completes itself. I'm not willing to to part with that to re-enter the development phase because I think we've already seen a rebuild start to surface itself this year with some of those pieces you've mentioned. So I want next year to be another step forward with additional pieces completely rounding out the team and starting to to bridge the gap towards the future. I think you draft a Justin Fields and there's no disrespect to him. I'm sure he could be a good NFL quarterback, but certainly not close to the tier of Trevor Lawrence. I don't want to bring him in and then take a step backwards. And I think that's what you're doing by bringing in a quarterback who's going to basically learn his surroundings, learn the league, go through the growing pains. And I know we're still seeing growing pains from Sam Darnold, but I think it'll be a lot less if you put the proper pieces around him. 
It's a fair point. And again, it's something we're going to have to wait and see on. And hopefully the Jets get the head coaching higher, right? But there's a lot of questions to be answered about the New York Jets and answers that we will get over the next few months or so. But let's shift over to the New York Giants, a team that had playoff hopes coming into this week, still has playoff hopes, but they're quickly getting away from it at this point. A 20-6 to loss at home to the Cleveland Browns on Sunday night football. There were questionable decisions from a coaching perspective, a few fourth down gambles by Joe Judge, especially one early on a fake field goal that went horribly wrong. The, the Giants had a chance to make a statement on Sunday night, and honestly, that's been the case over the last two weekends. But again, give the Browns credit for the way they came out. They shut down the run game. They shut down Colt McCoy, which, again, isn't that hard to do, but they took care of business and got it done where they needed to, as in the Giants without Bradbury and other pieces and with coaches not being involved, including Jason Garrett, Brett Belima going to Illinois. It was a it was a cluster of issues for the Giants on Sunday night. But um, to me, Eman, this loss goes back to the decision on the previous Sunday for the Giants to start Daniel Jones. Correct. And that is on Joe Judge. And this was something on the last time I was on NFL Friday I was worried about because I think Joe Judge has done a decent job in his first year. And I think we looked back after the Seattle game and said, Hey, the Giants really have a chance now. My thought process was Joe Douglas, not Joe Douglas, Joe Judge was going to say, hey, we really have a chance to win this division. We need our starting quarterback back. And hamstring injuries are nothing to joke about because, listen, a hamstring problem can be something that lingers on. It's not a, necessarily a serious injury, but it's an injury that can linger on and really affect a quarterback especially when he uses his legs as much as Daniel Jones, who wants to play through it. And it was clear they rushed him back to early, which I thought was going to be a problem and a concern for me with Joe Judge and Daniel Jones. And it was the reason he was out last week against the Browns. And, and listen, the reason you didn't want to rush him back were obvious. Yes, you're competing for an NFC's title, but you're talking about the future of your franchise here in his second year. Why create a long-term problem when this team isn't going anywhere? If you're the New York Giants. Yes, you are one game out of the division potentially fighting with the Washington football team, but let's be honest, the Giants aren't going anywhere. Even if they win the division, they're not going anywhere. This is still a 5-9 and nine football team right now, and at the time, they were 5-7. and seven. There was no reason for Daniel Jones to play against Arizona, and it cost the Giants not only last week, but it's probably going to cost them the rest of their season to be honest, because it's the reason that he didn't play on Sunday night. It's the reason he may not play next week. That decision to play Daniel Jones against the Arizona Cardinals at home when he clearly wasn't healthy and everyone saw it is going to cost the Giants a division. And, and honestly, it's probably going to cost Daniel Jones another week and possibly the rest of the season. And you were coming off a, a really a brilliant victory over the Seattle Seahawks in which you started Colt McCoy, really expected nothing, and fired on all cylinders. So could you have beaten the Arizona Cardinals with Colt McCoy? Absolutely. I think that decision to start Daniel Jones hampered their efforts to win that game, certainly hampered this effort against the Cleveland Browns because you had to insert Colt McCoy back to an already depleted team. A really monumental decision when you are going to look back and consider where the Giants could have gone this season. 
And I will pose this question, and I'm not sure of the answer. Is the honeymoon period over for Joe Judge? Because he makes that decision that affects multiple weeks and puts his potential franchise quarterback in jeopardy. And then a bunch of mind-boggling decisions early on against Cleveland. This guy's been good. He's created a no-nonsense culture. He certainly knows how to stand up a podium and, and not make not make excuses, which I think accounts for half of the love from the fan base, honestly. But this has been a okay year for the Giants. I really wouldn't think when it's all said and done, you may end up a game or two off the pace in the division. But what does that mean when you're six and ten or, or five and eleven or whatever it's going to be? So, if you're a Giants fan, are, are we looking at this objectively? Are, are we too much in bed with Joe Judge to the point where? We can't view these moves for what they are, and it's really growing pains for an inexperienced head coach and basically a team that's not that good rearing its ugly head the last few weeks. I think the honeymoon phase is over, but at the same time, I also think there needs to be a remembrance here that this is Joe Judge's first year as a head coach, and honestly, I think this team has been a little better than people expected. I mean, we can say competing for an NFC East title – is a good thing. But again, a lot of that just comes down to the product around the Giants at this point. So I I don't know if the Giants have their future head coach. I I would say that I'm going to need at least another year to see this because, listen, we weren't expecting the Giants to do much of anything this year, if anything at all, to be quite honest with you. And they're fighting for an NFC East title, which again, is a product of the division being so bad. But They've reared their head after a really ugly start. And you have a situation where five or six wins for this team was probably going to be the ceiling and they're going to reach that. And they looks like they have found a foundational piece on defense going forward in James Bradbury and their defensive front has been terrific this year in Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. So there are really good signs here as well. But my worry with Joe Judge is that from a, a fundamental coaching standpoint, there still leaves a good amount to be desired here um, with the Giants. And a lot of it is shown late in games because they have had a lot of close losses this year, especially early in the season. And again, he was going through growing pains, but I think Joe Judge does have a lot to learn as a head coach. And I, I think that he's definitely earned himself another year, possibly two, and they're going to let him grow with this quarterback and Daniel Jones and let him grow with this team going forward. But I think there is reason to be concerned about Joe Judge just from a fundamental coaching standpoint going forward. Absolutely. And that's not to say he hasn't done a nice job. That's not to say the Giants aren't moving in the right direction. They are. But in some ways, a playoff run is almost counterproductive to what the Giants are hoping to accomplish this year. It's more product of the horrific division and just circumstantial than anything else. And I think it kind of fooled the fan base into thinking, this year might be more than it is and kind of giving Joe judge a pass on some areas where maybe he shouldn't be given a pass because that win over the Seahawks was, was really something else and sparked the giants into a position where I really believe you could take a poll of 80, 90% of the fan base. They thought they were going to win this division and that's probably not going to be the case now. And it forces you maybe in a game like the one against Cleveland to overlook some of those errors and just chalk it up as, hey, he was being aggressive. We like that. In another world where the Giants were, let's say, 10-5 and or 9-5, and whatever it is, last week, and really relied upon to be the 
the victor, the better team, you're not giving them a pass on that. The pitchforks are out, especially in a market like New York. So I just think it's something where the Giants fans may go through more of a reflection the next few weeks about what this season really entailed. Positive signs all around, but there is a lot of growing to do. There is a lot of learning to do. And I still think the Giants are at an early phase in where they're headed. And listen, the Giants could very well still win this division. Like, there's no question about it, given how poor this division has been. And honestly, everyone is really still alive at this point. You had the Washington football team in first place, but I mean, Dwayne Haskins was at a strip club last weekend. He just got fined 40K. That's their starting quarterback. What a fool, by the way. You're You're not the starting quarterback. You have completely disgraced the organization with with not only your ability to produce but now putting everyone else in jeopardy and the season in jeopardy this is likely the nfc east champion what are you doing at a strip club we would be assaulting him if he was even at a restaurant or maskless in public something as simple as being on a subway without a mask anything where he put his teams at risk we'd be absolutely ripping the guy he's in a strip club what are we doing here? Uh, by the way, that's a complete side note. Another thing that's an abject disgrace is the fact that the Cowboys are still alive in this division. <laughs> what is going on? The fact that they still have an outside chance to represent the NFC Eastern Division is beyond the norm, beyond the pale. Ooh, I don't disagree with you, man. And, and like you said, the, the fact that you get the chance to be a starting quarterback again after – you were essentially benched, left off the roster for a few games in Dwayne Haskins, and you come back now, you, you stink it up over the weekend, and you're pictured maskless at a strip club. I get you got to blow off steam, but come on, man. You're getting another chance here, and that's what you do. You're blowing it. And I can't believe I was someone who was defending Dwayne Haskins at one point earlier this year and saying that the way the, the football team was handling him was an abject disgrace, but it, it appears – that they may write, and the way he's handling himself has been an abject disgrace. Also, beyond Haskins' actions, which are indefensible, why is a strip club open, period? I, I, I didn't know that existed in America right now because so many things are closed, and, and even in the wide-open states, I, I would not think that you could attend a strip club in the middle of a once-in-a-century pandemic, but hey, to each, to each his own, to each her own. Here we are, man. 2020 is a bizarre place. And, well, anyways, that'll do it for our NSC East talk, our Giants talk. But point is, to wrap this whole thing up, the Giants are still alive in the division, which is remarkable considering they're 5-9 and nine and guaranteed to go under 500. And everyone is still alive in this division. And who, who knows what's going to happen. And it'll be one of the, I would say, more interesting things to watch. But I don't think interesting does – this division justice at this point because it's going to be hilarious I think to watch because it's four bad football teams all fighting for a spot to host a playoff game that they don't deserve to host so that's where we're at with the NFC that's where we're at with the Giants we talked about the Jets already and that means Emmanuel it's time for my favorite segment of the week and that is our pick'em segment and we get to pick every game this week because every team is playing. No buys in week 16, and it's a weird schedule. We get Christmas football, and we're going to start off our pick segment with Vikings, Saints in the Superdome, 4.30 start on Christmas Day. I think I got to roll with New Orleans here, remember who you got. I like New Orleans as well, Jackson. The Saints have lost two straight, but you have Breeze, 
who showed some flashes of, of returning to himself in the second half of last week. And I think it's only going to be an uphill trajectory from here. Obviously not a great opponent that the Saints are facing. So I like the Saints to prevail. And I think they're about seven-point favorites. So I, I think the Saints will win and they'll cover. I'll go with the Saints as well. I, I would say this about New Orleans, though. I, I'm concerned about their their ceiling in the postseason going forward because Drew Brees came back last week against Kansas City, and that offense did not look very good. And no. A lot of it came down to Drew Brees. But we're both rolling with the Saints here. Three games on Saturday on what would be called Boxing Day for uh, those soccer fans out there. But we get three football games a treat in its own right. Bucks lions in Detroit. Tampa Bay, nine-and-a-half-point favorites to them. Tampa Bay, nine-and-a-half-point favorites, and the Bucks playing a second consecutive road game. I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park for the Bucks whatsoever, but I do like them in this game, maybe to prevail by eight or nine points. Give me the Bucks. I'm going to go with the Bucks as well. Uh, again, not a team that I think can get it done in the NFC when it's all said and done, but I'd like them to get the 10 win here against the Detroit team. That is reeling of late. 49ers, Cardinals in Glendale. Again, I'm not even sure who's considered the home team here technically because the 49ers I think it's have both. been playing home games in Arizona, but yet this may or well not be a home game for the 49ers. I believe the Cardinals are considered the home team here, and that is actually the case because now I'm remembering week one when the Cardinals beat the 49ers in Glen- in uh, wherever they play nowadays, in San Francisco. But who do you like them? I like the Cardinals, especially with the implications of the game. The Cardinals need this game. They are in a race. The 49ers aren't in the race. And I think that that motivation is going to be the separator here. So give me the Cardinals. I'll roll with the Cardinals as well. I, I think the 49ers, yes, they've gotten healthy recently, but I like the ability for the Cardinals to stop the run. And I, I think that they maybe have the best quarterback receiver duo in the NFL right now, debatably behind Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Kyler Murray. And DeAndre Hopkins, again, there's a lot of guys up there that you can talk about. Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, certainly there. But this is one of the better duos in the NFL, and I think it'll get them to their ninth win. And that takes us to Saturday Night Football. Really good match about in Vegas. Raiders and Dolphins. Dolphins looking for win number 10. Tua Tagovailoa has been better in his last few games since getting the starting job back. This should be a fun one, E-Man. Should be a very fun one. A closely contested matchup. And... I'm not sure exactly the status of Derek Carr. He's been limited with that with that groin injury. So let's see how that unfolds. But if Marcus Mariota, who, who's had his ups when he's been called upon, of course, of late, if he ends up the starting quarterback, I like Miami in this game. I think it's going to be a tight one. I'll probably take the Dolphins regardless of circumstance. I love what they've been doing this season. But I think that starting quarterback situation for the Raiders is ultimately the difference maker. Agreed, and I think if Carr is healthy, I take the Raiders, but I'm going to go with the safe pick here and take the Dolphins on the road. They are three-point favorites right now. I like the way their defense has played, and Brian Flores has done a terrific job, a candidate for head coach of the year. I like the direction this Dolphins team is going, and they're right in the playoff hunt with the Ravens at 9-5 with that extra playoff bid this year. The Dolphins are certainly in the equation, and I'm going to roll with the Dolphins as we head now into Sunday, Falcons and Chiefs in Kansas City. Chiefs looking to continue their pursuit of that top seed in the AFC. They can wrap it up, essentially, with a win here. 
I like the Chiefs at home, you know. I love the Chiefs at home here, and I don't think it's really much of a conversation. I don't think this will be a close game whatsoever. Uh, the Chiefs also know they'll be able to lock it up with this victory. Falcons are not good. Uh, they've pretty much been a disgrace this season. So give me the Chiefs, and give me the Chiefs big, probably by 15 to 20 points. That would cover the spread. It's at 10.5 right now at Arnold Now moving over to MetLife, the team we talked about before, the disgraced 1-13 Jets. The 10-4 and four Browns, again, making their second straight appearance at MetLife Stadium. I think this is an easy one, but again, who knows after last week. Hey, maybe the Jets have some some new life. Maybe they believe in themselves that they can get this done and continue to pick up the victories. The Browns have, have been in a groove. I like what Baker Mayfield is doing, not doing too much. You saw that game against the Giants last week, and it almost seems like Mayfield didn't have to break a sweat. He wasn't really doing much. He, a lot of check downs, wasn't doing anything special. And still a very, very simple, easy victory for the Cleveland Browns. So I'll take the Browns, although I'm a little worried the Jets are going to hang around. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I think I can see the Jets covering nine and a half right now, which is the opening line at the moment. But again, I think the Browns are too good right now. I, I like the way their defense is played, especially with the semi-absence of Miles Garrett. Not to say he's been absent, but he's definitely a snap count's been down a little bit since picking up COVID and factor has been there, but I like the way this Browns team has played. The run game is going to give the Jets some issues, but that should be a good matchup of that front seven of the Jets versus the Browns run game of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But again, I'm rolling with the Browns as we continue to pick together. I mean, we're at one, two, three, four, five, six for six together in picks right now. That's wild, Jackson, by the way. It's probably destined for disaster at this point, (laughs) but um, we'll keep it moving here. And this is one where we might diverge. Colts and Steelers at Heinz Field, Colts 10 and 4, Steelers at 11 and 3, though they've lost three straight, and it was an ugly performance on Monday night. I'm curious to see where you go on this one. This is a total toss up. I loved what the Steelers were doing early in the season, and they've hit a roadblock here. So I think this is a game with both teams in the playoff picture that the Steelers feel they need to have, especially if they're going to keep their division hopes alive. So I like that to, prepare, to prevail in this one. I like the Steelers to win. It'll be tight. It'll be razor thin, but I like Pittsburgh. I'm going to diverge from you here. I'm going to go with the Colts. They open up in minus one and a half. And I, I think that this Colts team has gotten a lot better as the year has gone on, especially on the offensive end of the football and their ability to run the football because they haven't really had an answer for the running back position. It's been Jonathan Taylor, Nike Pines, and with so many questions there, it has made life on Philip Rivers a lot more difficult, but I've actually been a lot more impressed with what Rivers has done as the season has gone along, and I, I think they're going to deliver the Steelers their fourth straight loss, especially with their defense, because we've seen the Steelers have trouble against teams that can stop the run. This Colts team is one team that can really do a good job of stopping the run, so I'll take the Colts on the road to keep the Steelers skidding. Biggest game of the week for Jets fans, Bears and Jaguars at 1 o'clock in Jacksonville. If the Jags are going to lose a game over these next two, you have to think it'll be this one. For sure, man. And uh, you know who I'll be rooting for in this one. It'll certainly be the Jacksonville Jaguars. But especially with the way last week went, especially with the mood right now, and especially just the gut feel in Jets land, Things like this don't happen to the Jets. You're not going to get lucky enough where the Jaguars are going to win this football game. Bears win pretty handily, and we end up with Sam Donald, that quarterback, next year. Yeah, I'm with you. As much as I would like to pick the Bears in this game, 
Jaguars. Well, I, I should say the Jaguars. I, I think the Bears are going to come out from the top. And unfortunately, that will be my pick in this one. Giants, Ravens in Baltimore. Ravens back on track after a bit of a brief midseason skid. They play the Giants this weekend, and we'll see if they have Colt McCoy at quarterback or if Daniel Jones makes his return. But who you got in there? Well, the Ravens have a division to play for. Giants do as well. So it is almost like a, a postseason matchup for both teams. So there's no lack of, of will. There's no lack of grit. There's no lack of motivation in this one. But you mentioned it. The, the Ravens were able to bounce back after that midseason slide. And I just don't think the Giants are whole enough. I don't think the Giants have enough of an identity right now to carry that momentum into this game and beat a really good Ravens team. So I like the Ravens to win pretty comfortably here and really put the Giants to bed. I'm with you. I think this Ravens team is is too good and playing too well at the moment to be beat. Um, Lamar Jackson seems like he's figured it out, so credit to him. Um, So I'll roll with the Ravens in this one. Bengals and Texans, two teams that are quite interesting, to say the least, this year. I'm rolling with the Texans in this one. I'll make my pick first there. At home, the Bengals without Joe Burrow the rest of the way. You have to think that this one is going to go the way the Texans. Absolutely, and I, I think Cincinnati really was exhilarated uh, with that win over Pittsburgh this week. I think this is primed for a letdown, if it would even be called that, in this upcoming matchup. So I like the Texans, and I don't think it'll be very close. Yeah, I'm with you there, as I mentioned. To the 4 o'clock games we go out in Inglewood. Chargers host the Broncos. Chargers off a big Thursday night victory over the Las Vegas Raiders again. That one came in overtime. Justin Herbert with the heroic touchdown to end that game. I think I like the Broncos in this one, but I'm going to take the time while you pick to figure this one out. Wow, this is a tough one. I actually like the Chargers. You mentioned Herbert playing great football right now, and I think we're going to see a really high-scoring game here. I think that play will continue, and I like the Chargers to come out on top. I'm going to roll with the Broncos on this one. Um, I like the way Drew Locke has been playing recently, and I think that this Broncos team on defense will be able to stifle this Chargers team. And I I like Justin Herbert. I think he's going to be terrific um, as a quarterback going forward, just like he's done this year with the new coaching staff, hopefully coming in next year with what Anthony Lynn has done. But I'm going to roll with the Broncos and their defense to get the job done on the road. Big matchup for the Giants here, Panthers and the Washington football team. The football team at home with a chance to really make a statement and almost assuredly lock up a playoff spot. But again, this division's still alive for everyone. I'm going to go with the football team. I like the football team here too. I I, I don't think it's going to be easy. I, I think there's going to be one of those low-scoring, grinded-out type of games for Washington. But they have the NFC East in sight, and I think this is going to be the week, finally, where this division defines itself. The Giants lose, Washington wins, and you're basically going to almost be able to crown a division champ with this one. That would get them to 7-8, and eight, and like you said, again, not entirely out of the equation that that would wrap up the division, but it, it would just as close to wrapping it up as they can. Speaking of the NFC, NFC East, down in Jerry World, Cowboys and Eagles at 425. That will almost probably be on Fox, if I had to guess, even with a really good 425 game. I'm sure. Follow this, but again, Eagles at 4-9-1, Cowboys at 5-9. 
I like the Cowboys, and I do think it is really frustrating that they're even in the mix here, but someone's got to win in this game. I don't think it's a very inspiring matchup, even though it will be in all of our faces. I think the Cowboys win narrowly, and the Eagles are dealt that blow. That basically keeps both of those teams middling in the division and allows Washington ultimately to be the victor. I'm with you on this one. I got to roll with the Cowboys here. I think that... The way they're playing football with Andy Dalton at the helm, they've seemed to stabilize their offense. I give Kellen more credit to that um, for adjusting without Dak Prescott. It took him a little while, but the Cowboys seem to be back on track, and I'll roll with the Cowboys being able to outscore Jalen Hurts and the Eagles, although I really have liked Jalen Hurts recently. So I'm going to take the Cowboys, but again, I think this will be a tight one down in Dallas. And this is what should be the game of the week. Rams and Seahawks. The Rams coming off a horrific loss at home to the previously winless Jets, as we talked about. Seahawks at 10-4 and and in first place in the NFC West. Seahawks at home, minus one and a half. Who do you got? I like the Rams in this one. I think Seattle, you have the encouraging signs lately with the, the improvements on the defensive side of the ball. But I think the Rams are really going to have a drive after that loss to the Jets. You saw the post-game comments from Sean McVay and the rest of the team. They were flat-out embarrassed by their performance, and rightfully so. I think the Seahawks are good, but they're not good enough to fend off a really motivated Rams team to bounce back from last week in an empty stadium where they don't have that, that 12th man like they would normally would. I don't know if I can realistically ever pick the Rams again because they're dead to me on the inside. Um, Sean McVay's a fraud. Jared Goff is an even bigger fraud at this rate. And for that reason, I'm picking the Seahawks. This is completely a heart pick and completely a hate pick um, against the Rams. But I like the way the Seahawks have been playing. I think their defense has been a lot better since the start of the season when they were on pace to set historic records and not in the right direction in that regard. But I like the way Seattle's played recently. I think they get a stranglehold on the division and clinch the NFC West with a win here. So I'm going to take Seattle going into Sunday night football. Really good matchup here. Packers at 11-3, Titans at 10-4. and This week is probably going to ultimately decide who wins the AFC South. The Titans and Colts both at 10-4. and both with tough road tests, as we talked about before. Colts playing the Steelers and the Titans playing the Packers on Sunday. I like the Packers. I think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think Derrick Henry will have his his normal great performance. I think he'll eat up uh, that that Packers front. But I like the way the Packers have been playing. I think Rodgers was okay last week. He has a lot of room to grow in this matchup. So I, I like the Packers to come away with maybe a 5-10 point victory. I'm with you here. I I think this is the best team in the NFC right now. Aaron Rodgers is playing like an MVP. Devontae Adams has been the best receiver in football this year. And I really like the way that they've been able to utilize the run game this year with Aaron Jones. He's been terrific, especially since coming back from that injury. He was awesome last week over the Panthers and was a big reason why they were able to win at home on Saturday night. So I'm going to roll with the Packers. I think they win the NFC, and I think they get a convincing win over a really good Titans team at home and finally into monday night football a passing of the torch so to speak in the afc east right now the bills afc championships afc east champions i should say for the first time since 95 they go to foxborough to take on the six and eight patriots bill belichick obviously you would think he'd want to put a damper on this bills afc east title but he's gonna have a tough time doing so 
as you said, it's almost symbolic. That's how I view this game, where it's a passing of the torch, and I think the Bills have a chance to really dig the, the Pats' grave a little bit deeper here. And they also have a shot at the number two seed in the AFC, so there's something on the line here for Buffalo to play with. I don't think this is a very competitive matchup, though. I think the Patriots are buried. I think the Bills are rolling towards potentially making some noise in the AFC playoffs, so I like Buffalo. I like Buffalo, too. I don't think there's a whole lot to this year, but again, this could be a AFC title hangover, so to speak, following the win last week to clinch the division for the first time in two and a half decades, but again, I still think the Bills have a lot to play for. That two seed is very much out there, and they can almost essentially secure it with a win this week, assuming that the Steelers lose one of the rest of their two games, which looks very likely. But again, I like the Bills in this one to take advantage on the road and give the Pats a losing season for what seems like the first time in an eternity. So that'll wrap it up for Week 16 edition of NFL Friday. We're almost at the end of the road here in terms of the regular season. And Thank God, because it's been a long one as a Jets fan, and it got a lot worse last week, but we are almost at the end of the line. And for Manuel Babari, for our producer, Mike Messina, I'm Jackson Hiles. It's an NFL Friday, a production of WFU Sports.